0: You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. I didn't think about it until I was sitting there a few minutes ago, but my mom and my dad and my mother-in-law and father-in-law are here today, and I should have issued a trigger warning to my mom about birds. Because my mom, when she was a little girl, was attacked by a rooster. And she has always been scared of birds. And so when we would go to the zoo, we never could go into the bird sanctuary. So It was a part of my life, uh, my upbringing, that I resent a little bit. And I'm still scarred from it. And it's all your fault, Mom. But anyway, um, just a little side story. Speaking of birds, though, really, um, when I was in Lubbock, Texas, I was a youth pastor there for about two and a half years. And, uh, and I, I've told you before how, how po' we were. We were just you know way 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 down below the poverty level. And so I would do almost anything within legal means to to earn extra money. <clears throat> and one of the jobs that I picked up along the side along on the side was there was a group of men in the community, one in particular that was in our church, and they had this club they were a part of. And it was a homing pigeon club. Anybody ever heard of homing pigeons? Anybody have any homing pigeons? Anybody? Okay, I didn't know if this was like a West Texas thing or what, but the, I didn't. I'd never heard of. I mean, I knew p- pigeons had this homing device in them, but this is a picture of a homing pigeon, and the homing pigeons that were in this club. Uh, these guys, they had a band on their foot like that right there, and they also have this thing on their on their beak. And homing pigeons have this incredible ability to find their way back home. And you heard of that. But this, these guys had a club, and so they hired me to haul their pigeons for their pigeon races. And so here's how it worked. I would load up this, tra- or they would load up this trailer, two sides, and there were two races that they were 30 minutes apart, and they would load these pigeons up in this trailer. I would hook up to it, and I would take these pigeons 150, 200, 250, 300, 400, and 500 miles from home. The farthest drive I ever did was from Lubbock, Texas all the way down to Corpus Christi, Texas, which is approximately 500 air miles. And I would go and find a spot that was clear of power lines and all of that and drop at a specific time of the day, like after the sun was up, like at 7.30 in the morning, drop the doors, and all of the doors would flop open, and these pigeons would fly out, and these were not the actual pigeons, but this is kind of what it looked like. They would fly out of these cages, and they would circle in the sky about three or four times, and then they would make a beeline home to back to Lubbock, and it's incredible. I would get back, and all the pigeons that survived that flight would always beat me home. They would beat me back to their homes, of course. And I found out they fly about 60 miles an hour. Some of these pigeons have been tracked at flying over 75 up to 100 miles per hour in in the current. And these pigeons have this ability to find their way home. Even from, some people said that they could do it from 1,000 miles away and they have, they think that it may be something that's in their actual beak that um, knows where magnetic north is and they have this thing that goes on and i was thinking, as I was thinking about the message today, I was thinking how cool it would be if we had something like that. Have you ever ridden with anybody that just is like navigation um, illiterate? They, if you say, where, where are the front doors to this building right now? They couldn't point to them. If you were to say, where's, the, where's north? We ought to do it right now just to see who you are among us but we don't want to do that. Um, But pigeons had this thing, and I was thinking, wouldn't it be so cool if you and I had this internal guide inside us that would always orient us toward what was right? Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't it be like every situation you came up on, you just knew what was the right thing to do? Not not necessarily, um, you know, even the areas that are gray, You would go, I just don't know what to do in this. And all of a sudden, you just had this ability to decide what's right or wrong or what, what to do in these situations. The good news is, I believe we have that. I believe you and I, at the moment of our salvation, have this internal GPS, if you will, something that orients us toward what is right And the problem is we don't give it enough attention or we don't give him enough attention. So if you have your Bible today, look at Galatians chapter five. As Tom said, this is probably my favorite chapter in the whole entire letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. And in it, he kind of goes back to chapter five, verse one. He says this, he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now let me just kind of give you an idea here for just a second. Whenever Paul wrote this letter to the to the Galatian believers, he didn't go, "All right, chapter 1, verse 1, and here's what I want to say. Verse 2, and here's what I want to say. And then chapter 2 will be this and chapter 3." He didn't write it like a book. He wrote it like a letter. He wrote it and just writing it out, you know, or had somebody write it for him, whatever the case may have been. He wrote it out and then delivered that to the churches. Well, years later, some men came along as they were compiling the Bible and they were thinking about churches like us that would be reading through this and preaching through this, or going, it'll be awfully hard for them to kind of pick out a spot and everybody to find that. So let's add in some chapters and let's add in some verses. So originally we didn't have chapters and verses. Those were not inspired by God. They were added in. Later, for our benefit, so that we could read and follow along with one another more easily. With that in mind, this verse really feels a lot like it belongs in chapter four, because it's almost a summary of what Paul had been writing about, as we talked about last week. And what he's saying here is he's saying, I want you to stand confidently in the freedom that's been made possible through Christ rather than going back into the bondage of the law and making Christ's death of no account to you? Why would you go back to the law and say that you can live by the law and now you're saying that what Christ did for you is of no account? So he's saying, as you grow in your faith and you stand firm in the freedoms that you have in Christ Jesus, what we're telling you is you ought to be growing in your faith and growing up in your faith. And so, because you're a grown up, just act like a grown up. Have you ever wanted to tell someone that? That's really what Paul is saying here. I want you to stand firm in that freedom that Christ has given you and do not go back into that yoke of slavery. But the rest of this chapter, he's talking to us about what it means to tune in or hone in on that internal part of the Godhead who lives in you and his title is the Holy Spirit. And he lives inside of you. And so he's talking to us about what does it mean for us to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean for us to be oriented toward what God wants for us and for those around us? And so I got three points. Number one is this, walking in the Spirit enables us to enjoy freedom from the law and the negative consequences of the law. So the law has some negative consequences, and that's what Paul lays out for us. And there's about five things that I wanted to point out real quickly in these first few verses that Paul says are negative consequences of living under the bondage of the law. And here's what he said. Number one, it invalidates Christ's work on the cross, so he says, "Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, then Christ will be of no advantage to you. Circumcision was a part of the Jewish law that was a requirement for uh, for the under the law, but it was a sign of righteousness or it's a sign of cleanliness. And so he was saying, if I ex- if I say to you accept circumcision, that you have to be circumcised in order to be righteous." then what we're saying is that Christ will be of no advantage to you. So don't slip into that. Don't slip back into bondage to the law because then you're saying that you can start earning your salvation and you invalidate what Christ did on the cross because it's not circumcision that makes you righteous or clean before God. It's salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's been talking about this entire letter. The next thing that it does is it obligates you to the entire law. So he says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. So he's saying, if you're going to make one part of the law applicable to your life or some form of righteousness or, or right standing before God, then you're obligated to the entire thing. You can't start picking and choosing Old Testament principles and Old Testament laws and applying them because when you do that, you obligate yourself to all of that. And he's saying, don't do that because that is a negative part of adhering to that Old Testament, that Mosaic law. The next thing it does, he says, it removes you from grace. He says, you are severed from Christ or you are removed from Christ. You would be justified, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. And what he's not talking about, he's not talking about losing your salvation with God. What he's saying is if you obligate yourself to the Old Testament, to the Old Testament law, and you start living under that, thinking that that somehow makes you righteous before God or it puts you in a righteous standing before God, what you're saying is, is you don't believe that grace is for you and you're slipping away or you're falling away from grace. You're removing yourself from the protection of grace because now you're putting it into a works-based camp and not into a grace-based camp. Uh, belief system that God um, uh, teaches us in the New Testament. He says, for through the Spirit, for through the Spirit by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, for in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He's saying your outward actions at this point don't really matter in, in your standing before God. Kind of what he was talking about, he was saying, and you're gonna love this, if you like bacon, eat yourself some bacon. Come on. Anybody like some bacon? He said, listen, if you like bacon, eat bacon. But if you don't like bacon or if you have some conviction against bacon, don't eat it, but don't impose it on me. Because I love me some bacon. That means there's extra for those of us who like it. Exactly. And so he's saying all of these outward actions before God don't matter in in terms of a righteous standing before God. You're not obligated to the law in that sense. So it's faith working through love. It's putting something in us that orients us toward God. And I've been thinking about this, you know, of course, my sermons, I think about them all the time, but but yesterday, we went down to Carowinds, and when I saw how hot it was earlier in the day, I was thinking, we're kind of crazy. We got down there and it like poured down rain for like an hour while we were there or more, and it was so cool after that, but during that rain, me and Tracy and Luke and Taryn, we were all standing around there, and of course, Elias, and we got the baby there, Ivy, and we're standing there and it's raining off and on, you know, sprinkling, raining. But poor, um, what's his name? Elias, <laughs> I got to go down the list. Um, we got seven now, you know, it's hard to keep up. Um, Elias, he was playing in the mud puddles or in the, in the rain puddles. And he'd go and he'd smack this one and he'd go over here and he'd do this. And at his age, he's a toddler, he's all over the place. And so you're constantly having to stay right there with him. So we were taking shifts. And so Luke would watch him for a little while and I think Tracy might have some and then I got my shift. And so me, I'm kind of letting him go a little bit further out, you know, in the, in the area that we we're there. And he starts walking over by this building toward this sidewalk. And Luke, my son, had the nerve to say, hey, dad, there's some steps over there. You might want to watch him. <laughs> and inside me, I went, are you kidding me? I done raised three of y'all. I'm not sure y'all broke very many bones, you know? And so, but, but in that moment, I was thinking, you know what? When my son was a teenager, I would have never thought it would have been a good idea for him to have a child, <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? You've got kids like that. No, they can't even take care of themselves. There's no way they could take care of a child. There's no way they could watch after a toddler. And so, but what happened is when Luke had, when Taryn had Elias and he became a father, there was something that was put in him. And it's that right there. A love that he has for his son, that orients him toward everything in his protection, that orients him to say, dad, watch out for my son because he might fall down those steps and I know that's dangerous for him and he hovers over him and watches after him and tends to him to make sure that he does not hurt himself or hurt his little sister at this point, but that's what love does. It's it's faith working through love and God through his Holy Spirit has put that in you and me. And it ought to be toward other people, that we ought to be oriented in our love toward other people, that we look out for him just like Luke looks out for Elias and wants to protect him and wants to look after the best for him, wants to celebrate. But the law doesn't do that for us. It's faith working through love because when it's the law, it's a checklist. When it's love, there is no checklist. It's just orienting us toward other people, toward the things of God, and it's something that God puts in us internally. We'll see more of that here in just a minute. But another thing the law does is it hinders our spiritual growth and development because it makes it about a checklist, and it doesn't make it about maturity. It doesn't make it about us learning and growing. He says, you were running well then who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who has come along and knocked you off course? Who's knocked you off truck? But there are troublemakers who, who are on the loose and they are trying to interfere with your race progress and they're wanting you to feel bad about not doing this or they're wanting you to feel bad about doing this. And Paul gets into some of that, as we'll see in a few moments, but this persuasion is not from him who calls you. He says, a little leaven, leavens the entire lump or the whole lump. What he's saying is that this idea of legalism, this idea of a comparison game, that you're somehow more righteous than I am because you went to church more times than I did, or that you're more righteous than I am because you have checked more boxes than I have. He's saying that idea of legalism, it causes a competition, a spiritual competition in the church that is unhealthy. And it doesn't orient orient you toward other people. It orients you toward yourself and your own self-righteousness. And he says, so a little bit of that in the church leavens the entire body. It it, it causes contamination through the whole entire body. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. So all of those legalistic Judaizers, those Pharisees that look down their noses at other people, he's saying, God is gonna get them and God is gonna take care of them and he's got a penalty for them. But the last thing that it does is it removes the offense of the cross. Meaning that he says this, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, which Paul did preach that when he was a Pharisee. He was all about the Old Testament law and everybody adhering to those. But when he was converted, he didn't preach that any longer. He preached salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, not through any kind of adherence to the law. But people were accusing him of continuing to preach circumcision or adherence to the law. He says, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So he's saying, if I could orient people toward the law, then I am making the cross of Jesus Christ of no account because I'm telling them that somehow, through your good works, you're going to get yourself into heaven or get yourself in good standing before God. That's not gonna do it. The law was the schoolmasters to show you why you needed a savior. And we get into Christ by receiving him as our Lord and our Savior. And he says, I wish those who unsettle you would just simply emasculate themselves. And I'll just say a little bit about this. Um, he's saying, if circumcision was somehow making you more righteous, then why, if, if, if removing just a little bit of skin makes you more righteous, then go ahead and remove all of it. And that's all I'm gonna say about that because all of you guys are cringing and Paul is just using hyperbole, okay? So the second thing, he says this, walking in the spirit enables us to enjoy freedom, to live a life guided by love. And this is going back to what he was just talking about a few moments ago. So he says this, for you you, were called to freedom brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So the problem that we still run into is there are some people that think that you can get saved, you can come down to an altar, you can pray a prayer and you can give your life to Jesus and then you can walk through those doors and you can go and live any way that you want to. They call that antinomianism. And that is a belief that that you can just live lawlessly, that there are no laws for you. There are no boundaries for you. There is complete freedom. You go get as drunk as you want to, sleep with as many people as you want to. You go watch whatever you want to, drive as fast as you want to, because you're in Christ, brother. You can do whatever you want. That is antinomianism, and that is a flawed view of salvation, because that's what Paul is saying here. For you are called to freedom, brothers, but don't let your freedom be used as a an opportunity for you to go fulfill whatever you desire in your flesh. That is not salvation. That is not God's way. It's it's through love you serve one another. It's through love you orientate yourself toward the things of God and the things that God wants. Because he goes on and he says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall, and here's the word, love your neighbor as yourself. So you look at the law and you see basically the 10 commandments that we would think as kind of encapsulates the law. The first four of those are all about how you love God. Have no other gods before me. Don't bow down to any graven image. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And so those things are all about us orientating ourselves toward our love for God. And if you need some guidelines, there's some guidelines. But when I love God, you don't have to tell me not to put another God before him. When I, when, when I love God, you don't have to tell me to not take his name in vain. When I love God, I wanna be with God's people. I'm going to remember the Sabbath day and I'm gonna keep it holy, the, the New Testament Sabbath, so to speak, for us, the gathering of believers. But the next six commandments, the next of those, it's fulfilled in the love. It's the love that you have for one another. So you honor your father and mother. You don't kill somebody. You don't commit adultery. You don't steal. You don't uh, blaspheme other people. You don't covet your neighbor's house or anything else of theirs. And so all of those are orienting us toward one another and how we love one another. And so in saying the whole law is fulfilled in one word and it's love. And we would look in the New Testament and see where Jesus said, love God, love people. And then he says, well, I'll tell you what, the way we're gonna know that you love God is the way you love people. The way you orient yourself toward one another, the way you love your neighbor as yourself, that's gonna show people, and that's gonna be an indicator, and that's gonna be the the way that we know that you are in Christ is the love that you have for other people. So the question that we have to ask ourselves all the time is how do I demonstrate godly love in every relationship that I have? When your husband is misbehaving, how do you love him in spite of that? When your wife is not treating you the way you think she ought to treat you, how do you love her in spite of that? When your kids are straying, how do you love them? When your boss is being a dictator and an authoritarian and you just can't work under that, how do you demonstrate godly love toward him or her? And that's what he's talking about. You orient yourself in a loving way toward other people. But the problem is you bite and devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The reason they are biting and devouring one another is because they had oriented themselves toward the law, and the law com- creates a competition. The law creates a way where I'm saying, I'm more righteous than Tom because I do this and that, or I don't do this or that. And Tom would say, well, I'm more righteous than you because I don't do this and I do this. And so we're biting and devouring one another because that is not a loving relationship that God intended for us to have toward one another. Because the internal conviction of love is always better than the outward condemnation of the law. When I have and my life is motivated and my actions are motivated by love, it's a whole lot better than the condemnation that comes along with the law because the law brings condemnation. The law brings guilt. The law brings shame. And the law should always point us to the Savior and it always should point us to the Savior who God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God is love and we are more like Christ when we demonstrate love toward one another, because we are saved by faith alone, but saving faith alone should never be alone. Saving faith should always result in love. So you tell me you're a Christian and that you're saved by grace through faith alone? Well, that faith should never be alone. It should always be accompanied by love, the love that we have for one another, the love that we have for God, because the law will never help us love one another, but it does tell us how to love one another. And you can look at the commandments, you can look at the law, and you can see that. So walking in the spirit, the final thing, walking in the spirit is evident by the fruit that is produced as a result of that. And that's how he kind of finishes up this chapter. He says this, but I say to you, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So we have to orientate ourselves or orient ourselves toward walking in the Holy Spirit or walking in the Spirit along with the Holy Spirit, what he would guide us in. And he kind of explains that for us. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So you've got... This nature, this human nature, this flesh that wants to be gratified and satisfied at the expense of your future and the expense of your godliness and your holiness. And you've got that desire going on. And you've got this also this spirit living in you that would guide you. And, and human nature is always characterized by the works of the flesh and acting of those things, acting upon those things will always bring you down. And it will always bring other people down with you. But if you are led by the spirit, You are not under the law. You are a maturing believer. You're growing in your relationship with God and you are understanding life in a different way, in a mature way because walking in the Spirit leads you away from those desires of the flesh because we have this internal GPS, if you will, that is orienting us toward the things of God. It's the Holy Spirit. And we have got to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit and be guided by the Holy Spirit. And here's how Paul starts fleshing out some of these works of the flesh. He wants you to understand, now there are some works of the flesh and just in case you don't easily pick up on these things, here they are for you. Now the works of the flesh, they're evident, but just in case you can't see it, let me just tell you, because some of you need to check your salvation. Because some of you are oriented toward these things and you're okay with it. And Paul is saying if you're okay with these things, there's a problem. Here they are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. This sexual immorality is anything, any form of sexual gratification, satisfaction outside the boundaries of a New Testament marriage between one man and one woman. Anything outside of that is sin, and it's sinful, and it is sexual immorality. And he said, these are works of the flesh, all of these things. He goes on. He says, some of these are religious sins. There's idolatry. There's sorcery. There's believing in the the sorcery and the going to uh, all kinds of different places. And you can you can go wherever that might lead you. But you gotta stay away from idolatry and sorcery, enmity, these are uh, sins against one another, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. And then he jumps into a little bit of that personal matter. He says, and there's some of you, you're drunkards and you're okay with it. You would think there's nothing wrong with just getting your buzz on all the time. He's saying, if if that is a lifestyle you live, it is contrary to being led by the Spirit. Because Paul also said, do not be drunk with wine or don't be influenced by an outside substance, but rather be filled with and led by and guided by the Spirit. He says, stay away from drunkenness, stay away from orgies that are associated with that. You make bad decisions when you're influenced by alcohol. He just and, and he knows that, and he's just reiterating that. And the things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that sounds like Paul is saying, so my salvation is dependent upon works. It does depend upon how I behave, that I'm going to get to heaven if I, if I have a drink or if I do something I shouldn't have, if I look at something. No, that's not what he's saying at all. If we give ourselves over to these things outwardly, what we are doing is we are demonstrating who we are inwardly. So a follower of Jesus who can go out and have a sexual immoral relationship, if you can live with somebody and have sexual relationship with somebody outside of the realm of marriage, and you're okay with that, and you're not under conviction about that, The Holy Spirit is probably not present in your life. And that means you are not a follower of Jesus. You may be a believer in Jesus. You may believe who he is and what he said, but you're not a follower. You're not a Christian. You're not in Christ. Because when you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. And he convicts you of sexual immorality. He convicts you of impurity. He convicts you of idolatry and enmity against your brother and strife and jealousy, fits of anger. You ought to be growing in these areas. You ought to, maybe maybe I still have some anger issues, but I'm not nearly as bad as I was 10 years ago. And we keep growing in these areas, this drunkenness, this uh, orgies and, and the things like these. See, I warn you, as I warned you before, if you do those things, if you practice these things, you're not a follower of Jesus and therefore you will not inherit eternal life because what you do outwardly is an indicator of what you are inwardly. But he says this: the fruit of the spirit. Now, finish up. The fruit of the spirit is love. There's that word again. This overarching idea: joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. All of these things are a part of the person who is growing and walking in. The Holy Spirit. We, we start to understand love and orient ourselves toward love for one another. We have an inward joy that happens regardless of our circumstances. We have this peace that comes regardless of what happens to us. It's, it's a peace that surpasses human understanding. We have patience with one another. We have kindness toward one another. We have goodness toward one another. And we are faithful, gentle, we're under self-control now. We're, and against such things, he says, there is no law. And this is the process of a growing believer. And the way this grows in you is you fertilize it. You water it. You look after it. You you try to grow in these areas. And you try to get um, better at, at being kind toward one another. You start to watch how you react and how you respond to people. He says, and those who belong to Christ, Jesus, they have crucified the flesh with its passions, and its desires. If you have a problem with some of those areas that he's talking about, you need to pinpoint what they are and crucify them. If you're in an ungodly, immoral relationship right now, it's time to die to that relationship. It is time to do whatever you need to do to get right in that relationship. If that means marriage, if that means moving apart, if that means saying no to any kind of sexual relationship any longer, if you have a problem with alcoholism and you don't think you do, ask somebody. They'll tell you. If you can't make it through the day without something to change your mood, a substance that's going to have an effect on you in that way, you might wanna check yourself. If you have enmity with your brother or if you're at odds with somebody and you just can't seem to ask for their forgiveness or offer them forgiveness, then you need to check yourself. This is a part of our growing relationship with Christ. If we have belonged to Christ, we've crucified those things. We're constantly killing those things in our life. But if we're led by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit and let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. There he goes, orienting us toward one another. And I close it all up with this summary statement right here. Victory over sin is not the result of living under the law, but by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Asking yourself, what, how do I respond in a godly, loving way in this moment? How do I respond in a loving, godly way In this moment, what does love require that I do in this situation? Godly love making itself known through me. If you're here today and you are under conviction and you just believe that maybe today you might need to become a follower of Jesus and not just a believer in Jesus, you need to be a follower, you need to be in Christ so He puts the Holy Spirit in you then today would be a great day for that. Meet us back in the guest VIP room. Meet us down front. Hit us online with a text message or a message there in the chat box. And we would love to follow up with that. But if you'll stand with me. And today, just ask yourself, am I yielding to the Holy Spirit? Is my life marked by an outward show of love that would indicate that I am in Christ? Father, we love you and we're so thankful for the truth of this chapter. God, it's my prayer that you will take the words that I've said and that God, you would use the words that Paul wrote that were inspired by you to convict our lives of what we need to do next. If there is somebody here today, maybe they've been in church all their life, maybe they've been a a believer in Christ, but today they need to become a follower of Christ. It's my prayer that today would be the day of salvation for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.